All right, we're in Philippians, so if you've got a Bible with you, you've got a Bible on your phone or your tablet, go ahead and get into Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 10 through 14 in just a minute. Now, we've been in Philippians for several weeks now, and we're winding down. We've got one more week after this week, and uh, so I hope you've, you've been able to be a part of these messages. If you haven't, uh, go ahead and you can go on our website, or you can go on iTunes, and you can listen to all of them on podcasts so you can get caught up and understand what's going on with the book of Philippians. But Philippians chapter 4. Now, if, if, you, uh, if you've been alive in the world at any point, there are certain Bible verses that have gotten famous, and they're so famous that people who aren't even in church have at least heard of them or heard parts of them. One of them, the most famous of all Bible verses, and it's a good one to be the most famous because it tells specifically about what God has done for us, is, is John three sixteen. If, if uh, Some of you can quote it, like I learned it in the, in the King James Version, so still to this day, even though I don't read the King James Version anymore, I don't teach from it, I still, when I hear uh, John three sixteen in my mind, it's King James. And so, you know, we, people have heard, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. That's awesome stuff. <clears throat> and then there's other verses that are famous for the wrong reasons because we've misquoted them. For instance, money is the root of all evil. That's nowhere in the Bible. That's in a Pink Floyd song, but it's not in the Bible anywhere. What the Bible says is that for the love of the money... For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and that's found in, in Timothy. Uh, Timothy wrote that. And today I want us to, to go over, we're going to go over a famous Bible verse, and, and, and it's gotten famous, unfortunately, for the wrong reasons. And let me start off by reading it to you, and it's Philippians 4.13, and it says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And maybe if you learned it in another version, it would say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, lots of people have made this verse famous, and, and it's, it's good. I'm glad verses are famous, but it still seems to be for the wrong reason. Here's the guy that made it the most famous recently. Go ahead and put his picture up here. Go ahead and put his picture up right there on that screen, or this screen. There we go. Y'all recognize that guy? Tim Tebow, right? And you can see in his eye black right there, he's got Philippians 4.13. Now listen, I think Tim Tebow is awesome. Uh, he, was, uh, he was an amazing college quarterback, and I know uh, that he loves Jesus with all his heart. I've never met him, but I know some people that know have met his family and know him. He does some amazing things and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying it was wrong for him to put Philippians 4.13 underneath his eyes, but listen, Philippians 4.13, when Paul wrote that and says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, it didn't have anything to do with scoring a touchdown or hitting a home run or running a four-minute mile. It didn't have anything to do with that. And we're going to talk today with what it really had to do with. Because th one of the things that, that was, this was the go-to verse when I was doing youth ministry. And uh, when I was doing youth ministry, we had a, a lot of the, the kids that played for the Greer High football team came to our church. And, and, and it, almost all those guys, they were great guys. And, and a lot of them were trying to live for Jesus. And some of them weren't. And, and we were trying to influence them to do that. And and, uh, but almost all of them, you'd say, hey, what is your favorite Bible verse? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And they're thinking in terms of this is going to make me bench press more. Now, one of the things that, uh, that I would love to be able to do as a human being is I would love to be able to dunk a basketball. 
And whether you know it or not, the world is divided into two groups of men. Those who can dunk a basketball and those who want to be able to dunk a basketball. And I am firmly entrenched in the second group of those who want to be able to dunk a basketball. Now, if I want to try to dunk, you know, if I read this verse and, and I see Tim Tebow's got it under his eyes and I'm thinking, hey, this has to do with athletics. Okay, all I got to do is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can all do things, all things through him who strengthens me. And so I write that on my, my sweatbands. I get a headband and I write it on there and I get a basketball and I write it on there and I'm quoting it every day and all this kind of stuff. And then I go, okay, today's the day. Today is the day Christ is going to strengthen me, and I'm going to dunk this basketball, and it's going to be amazing. And so I go out, and I'm on a regulation 10-foot goal, and I go out and I try to dunk. Listen, I could try a thousand times, and I'm not going to be able to dunk. Now, does that mean, does that mean that I don't trust enough? Does that mean that Jesus is not strengthening me? No, I'll tell you what it means. It means that I'm 45 years old. I'm 5'11", and I'm carrying about 20 pounds more than I should be carrying. I'm never going to be able to dunk. And it doesn't mean that this verse is wrong. It just means that we have pulled it out of context. And when you are reading the Bible for yourself, one of the things I want you to understand is it's extremely important to look at verses in the context of where they are. And what context means is you need to know what's happening in the verses before it and what's happening in the verses after, and you need to know what the whole idea of the book that you're reading is about. What is the context of Philippians? We've been talking about this from the beginning. What is the context? Where is Paul when he wrote Philippians? Say it. He was in jail. He was in prison. So the context is one of, of someone who's, who's in a, a difficult time in their life. What was the context of what was going on in the church at Philippi at that time? Well, this was a time when the Roman government was starting to persecute people for following Jesus. And so you didn't just show up and walk into church like we are today and everything be rosy. Sometimes that when you would do that and the more you would do it, people were like Paul, were being thrown into jail for that. And so it was a, the context is one of difficulty. And so I want to read Philippians 4, 10 through 14. And as I read this, follow along and, um, and let's, let's, uh, let's go through this together and think about what the context is and then I'll talk about that today. Alright? It says this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. If you, uh, if you go on the, the uh, Amazon website and you, and you look for, you search for books with the word secret in the title, I, I did this the other day, there are over 600,000 books in Amazon with the word secret in the title. Now, some of them are like novels with the, like uh, The Secret Life of Bees or Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and then there's a bunch of like trashy trashy romance novels that are like secret seduction and secret love and all this kind of stuff. By the way, time out, all right? We'll do like a Saved by the Bell timeout thing. Let me walk over here just for a second. This popped in my brain this morning, and I want to take it. This has nothing to do with the rest of the message, but this is a, a separate thing I t just popped in my brain. Uh, Valentine's Day is coming up this week, right? Okay, ladies, listen to me very closely. I want you to look at me. 
I've never done this from this stage before, but I'm about to do something I've never done. Do not go see Fifty Shades of Grey. Do not get together with your friends and think it's cute to go see Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay? I've never once stood here and said, don't see a movie, don't watch a television show, don't listen to a certain type of music. I believe that as a believer, you've got enough sense to do that on your own. But I'm telling you, and you might, be, you might face some criticism and you might face some peer pressure. Girls you work with, hey, we're all going to go see Fifty Shades of Grey like it's some kind of cute little you know, movie or whatever. Do not go see it. And think about this. What if your husband came home and said, hey, me and the guys are coming over to watch some internet porn tonight. Is that okay with you? You would never stand for it. Okay? Do not go see that trashy, garbage movie. All right? Time back in. Let's go back to this message right here. Okay? Where was I? Oh, yes. Secret. So if you look on Amazon, there's all kinds of books with the word secret in it. And there are tons of books where it says, like, uh, the secret to making money or the secret to finding love or the, the secret to... Uh, you know, to losing weight, the secret to rock hard abs, all these kinds of stuff on Amazon. And the thing that I realized when I was looking at that is, is that we're all looking for like this inside information of how to, how to do something that is difficult for us that doesn't come naturally. And so it's, it's not natural to have rock hard abs. There's no book on Amazon that's called The Secret to Getting Fat because we don't need that book. We can do that without a secret, right? And so, so, but, so we're all looking for that inside information. And I love it. I think it's interesting. And in this passage here in Philippians 4, 10 through 14, in verse 12, Paul uses the word secret. And I don't know other times, I'm sure maybe he did, but I think it's interesting. He says, listen, I've discovered a secret here, and I want you guys to pay attention to this. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to bound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, Paul understood that just like we are all looking for some inside information to to be able to do things that don't come naturally to us, Paul understood that one thing that doesn't come naturally to us is contentment. Contentment does not come naturally to us. And I think that sometimes as, as Americans, we think that's like a new problem. But I love that Paul wrote this a long, long time ago, a couple thousand years ago. And even back then, he was saying, listen, as, as you follow Jesus, one of the things that, that is not going to come naturally to you is contentment. And so he's saying, I've, I've learned something here. I've learned a secret to this, and I want you to understand what this secret is. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this next question that I'm going to ask you. I want you to write it across the top of your page there on your notes, because I think this is a question that we need to ask ourselves when we think about our lives. And that question is this, why can't I get enough? Why can't I get enough? See, whatever it is, the, the answer for all of us might be different, but, but it seems like for all of us there is something that we just we, we can't get enough of it. And there should be a point where we, we are satisfied, but we for some reason we're not. Whether it's, whether it's food or money or sex or attention or, or, or a promotion or cars or gadgets or whatever, it seems like all of us, we get in this situation where, where we, just, we just can't get enough. And I think that, that this whole idea of, of struggling to find contentment and not being able to get enough, it's proof to me that our sin nature 
has damaged the image of God that is in us. Now, let, now that might sound kind of weird, but let, let's go back in a minute in our minds to, to the book of Genesis, all the way back to the beginning, to the creation. When, when God created men and women, what does it say in the Bible that he says he created men in the image of who? In the image of God. So we are created in the image of God. So we come into this world different than the animals, different than the mountains, than the oceans and the trees, all everything else God created. We are, we are distinct from them in the fact that we carry with us the image of God. Now there's a lot of stuff that that means. I think part of what that means is we have the the ability to, to love deeply and, and to, to, to be involved in a relationship like that. Other animal species don't have that same ability that we have. I know that your dog loves you, okay? My dog loves me, but it's not the same, all right? There's something different because we have the image of God in us. And one of the things that I think that, that it also means is this natural drive that we have as human beings to solve problems. We have, a, we have a drive to solve problems. We have a drive to say, you know, here's how something is, but I think it can be different. I think it can be better. I think that's part of the image of God in us. And, and a lot of good stuff comes from that. If, if Thomas Edison had been satisfied sitting in the dark, none of us would be able to drive at night now. But he, one day he thought, this isn't good. We need to do something about this. And he was super smart. God had given him that, and he created a light bulb, right? I think that that was, that was part of God working in his life, even if he didn't acknowledge that it was God, that it was the image of God in him. And, and, but what happens is that all of us, we are created in the image of God, but then what happened in Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis chapter 3, sin comes into the world. And so now all of a sudden, with this image of God that we all are created in, that we all carry with us, now sin comes in and now the image of God begins to get damaged and it gets, begins to get warped and it begins to get perverted. And so <clears throat> things that were good that God had put in us, sin damages that. And I think this, this whole struggle that we have for contentment, if, if anything, shows us that it is, the, it is the sin nature that is damaging the image of God, I think it's that. Because all of a sudden what's happened now is that that all of a sudden we, we now, the, the stuff that, that we were looking at and saying, hey, I can change this, sin nature comes in and now it goes not just from I can change this, but I'm never going to be satisfied with anything ever again. See, because for us, finding contentment is difficult. It doesn't matter who you are. Finding contentment is difficult. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much whatever you have. There, for, we struggle with finding contentment. I love that, that Paul is addressing this issue when he's in prison. Because I think that even for Paul, because I think sometimes we think Paul never struggled with contentment. He just was, he was Paul. You know, he was just the most godly dude ever. He wrote most of the New Testament. How could he ever have sinned? But I think even for Paul, there was a, there was a struggle inside him where he struggled being content. And it wasn't until... He was in prison that he began to see things a little bit differently. Look at what he says in verse 10 there. <clears throat> he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul's in prison and, and he, was, he was receiving help from the church at Philippi. They were sending him things while he was in prison. And he was saying that there was a time that for some reason they weren't sending it. We don't know what that situation was. He says, I believe that you were always concerned for me, but for whatever reason, you couldn't send me these packages, these things you were sending me. Maybe, maybe the Roman guards had said, Paul gets no more help from outside. We're not letting that happen. 
I don't know what it was. But he was saying to them, listen, I'm glad that again that, that you're, you're sending me this stuff. I'm glad I'm, I'm getting these packages from you. And I don't, we don't know what those, what those were. But what I love is that it, we see a picture here of Paul who was, Paul was an independent guy. If there was anyone independent, it was Paul. He liked to, he, he, was, he was hard charging. He, he knew what he wanted to do and he went out and he did it. And he, he would go and if he had to go by himself, he would. But he'd grab a few people, but he was always the leader. He was always the one out in front. He's starting churches. He's going on missionary journeys. He's preaching the gospel. He, I mean, Paul never believed in taking a day off. He was go, 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 go. That's who he was. And now all of a sudden, he's in a situation where everything has stopped. He can no longer go. He's been forced to sit. He's been forced to, 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 to be in a situation where he's not in control. He's not making the decisions. He's having to wait on his next meal. He's having to wait on churches to send him stuff. And so it's, it's got to be a, a, a difficult situation. And I think it's interesting that it was during that time when he was forced to slow down that he began to think about and he began to write to the church at Philippi about this issue of what it means to be content. See, in verse 11, he says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul addresses something that's really important there, where he says, Not that I am speaking of being in, in need. See, needs are real, aren't they? I mean, there are, there are really things that we need. We, we need food, we need water, we need shelter. And let's just be honest, in the culture we live in, what do we need to get all those things? You can say it out loud, it's not a sin, what is it? Money. It's on our minds all the time, is it not? Because we need money. I could say today, you know what, money's not important. Okay, great, quit my job and, and next month I'm moving in with you. Because money is important because we need it to survive in this culture. And so there are certain things that we need. But what happens is when, when this, our sinful nature gets, gets such a, 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 a hook into our lives and a hook into our brains when it comes to the idea of what we need, then suddenly it's not, enough, not necessarily what we need anymore, but what we need becomes we need more and we're never satisfied with what we have. And so all of a sudden it goes from saying, okay, I have $1,000, but I need $10,000, whether we do or we don't. I have a 99 F-150, but I need a 2015 F-350. By the way, anybody wants to donate to their preacher, I've got mine picked out online. That's what you can give me, right? Because I need it, right? That's the way we live. You know, or, or I, I have a cabinet full of spam. You can live on that for a long time. But I need some filet, right? And so we, we live this lifestyle where all of a sudden we, we have been provided things that, that God is taking care of our needs, but we're constantly thinking of, yeah, I've got this, but man, I really, really, really would be more happy if I had that. I'd be satisfied. I, that's all I need. This is the last thing that I need to make me, to make me happy. This is the only thing I need in the whole world, is this lamp, you know, like the jerk of Steve Martin. But yeah, that, we, we get in that, that mindset where we, where we think those things. And so Paul says there in verse 11, I love it, Paul says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, I love that Paul says, I have learned. He doesn't say, I have always known that whatever situation I am in to be content. 
what he says is, I've learned it. He's saying, listen, it was a process for me. That it wasn't something that the day I got saved on the Damascus Road when God blinded me, opened my eyes, and I was automatically content with my situation. He says, no, I've learned this. I'm still learning this. It's a, it's a process that I'm going through. And, and what it took for Paul to begin to learn that was he had to be slowed down so much that he was actually in prison. Now, I don't think that's why he was in prison. I don't think Jesus said, you know, from heaven, okay, Paul, you're not content. I'm putting you in prison for a while. I just think that God used that situation in Paul's life to open his eyes to some things and to help him understand, I want you to be content with what I've done for you. I want you to be content with the ministry you have. And it, it was something that Paul had begun to learn. Now, and I think that, um, that for all of us, we tend to learn those kinds of lessons better through difficulty than we do through success. Now, Paul talks him here in just a minute in verse 12. He, he talks about being successful and uh, going through difficulty. But I think just the way it seems to be, what I've seen in my life and other people's lives, is that I learn those lessons better when I go through times of difficulty. Because when I'm, when I'm going through times of success and everything's going great, my focus really tends to be more on myself than it is on who God is. But it seems like during those times of difficulty when I realize, oh, all right, my attention's back where it needs to be, then that's where I really learn what it means to be content. And I think the same thing happened in Paul's life here. So what is this secret that Paul talks about in verse 12? He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now I'm about to tell you the secret. And it's so simple. And it's something that probably you've heard a million times. And it's probably something that you've even said before. But I wanted you to know that this is one of those things in life that's really easy to say and very difficult to live out. And that is this. This is the secret. Satisfaction is only found in Jesus. Satisfaction is only found in Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? We just go home, hey, Cliff, good word. Satisfaction is only found in Jesus. I got it. I'm going to do that this week. But man, it's hard to live, isn't it? It's hard to live out. And Paul says there in verse 12, he said, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, in any and every circumstance. Here's one thing that I know for certain, that I can stand up here and say with 100% certainty, and that is this. Whatever circumstance you're in right now in your life, whether it's fantastic, best that it's ever been, or whether it's the lowest you've ever been, whatever circumstance you're in right now, it will change. Our circumstances always will change. Jobs, marriages, bodies, relationships, bank accounts, all of those things change at some point. And sometimes they change for the better, and sometimes they change for the worse. But our circumstances will change. And so Paul is saying there, listen, I've had to learn. I've had to learn during times of abundance. Paul had had great success in ministry, the most success that anyone had ever had. So he's saying during times of abundance, things were going great. And then he says, and then be at times when I've been brought low, like right now when I'm in prison. He said, I've learned in both of those times, when I'm on the mountaintop and then I'm way down in the gutter. He said, during both of those times, I've learned in all those situations the secret of being satisfied. And the secret of being satisfied only comes through Jesus. I had this, I, I wrote this sentence down in my notes. And I, after I wrote it, I thought, man, that's got a lot of S's in it. 
it's like, like alliteration, and I thought, man, that would be good if I was like at a at a, a, a black church, and Sherry was up here on the organ, you know, and I was and I was singing and preaching at the same time, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, but listen to this. This is a great sentence. And, you know, we and, and, and I would say this, and then some of y'all should run up and down the aisles and be excited because this is awesome. But listen, the secret to satisfaction is not found in the situation. It's found in the Savior. Amen. Is that not true? I mean, that's the secret to satisfaction. It's not found in the situation you're in. It's found in the Savior that you serve. I just threw another S in there at you. That is the secret to satisfaction, right? It is, but, some, but we get so caught up in our situation. We get so caught up in it. We think, if I just, if I just had that job, if I, just, if I just could marry that man, if I could just date that girl, if I could just have this amount of money, if I could just have that car, if I could have that boat, if I could go on that vacation, if I could have this extra week off, whatever it is. And all those things, are those are circumstances. And those circumstances are going to change. But Paul says in verse 13, and this is not about dunking a basketball, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's saying in every situation, whatever, whatever is going on, I can be satisfied in what Jesus has done in my life. The fact that he's saved me from sin. The fact that he's given me a second chance on how to live and how to act. And that will be enough for me. See, I, I told you earlier to write down across the top of your page that question, why can't I get enough? And see, the answer to that is, without Jesus, you never will. Without Jesus, you never will get enough. The first million you make will just leave you wanting the next million. The beach house that you've always dreamed about for a vacation will just make you want one in the mountains. The girl that you thought that was the, the pinnacle, once you marry her, you'll start looking at somebody else. Because without Jesus, it will never be enough. You will find yourself empty over and over and over again. See, there's some of you here today that maybe you've been going to church forever. You grew up in a church here in town, or maybe you're here for the very first time. But you came in today and something wasn't right in your life. There was this hole, there was something, and you thought you were looking, you've been looking for happiness in all kinds of different places in different situations. And you're just looking for Jesus is what you're looking for. You just didn't know it. And maybe you even thought one time that you found him because you walked down an aisle somewhere, and I'm not saying that wasn't important, but you walked down an aisle, but, but, but what you did was you just said some words and they didn't mean anything to you and it didn't make any difference in your life. And what I want you to know today is that Jesus died on a cross for you. He was crucified. He he shed his blood. He was an innocent man who was killed, and he was killed for me, and he was killed for you because we've all messed up. And it's that sin in our lives that keeps us wanting more and more and more, and we'll never be satisfied until we finally say, Jesus, I want you to forgive me of that sin, and I want you to take over my priorities, and I want you to take over what I want and I don't want. And so you have an opportunity this morning I'm going to ask, uh, Donnie's going to come and he's going to stand down here. I didn't ask him to do that, but he, he'll do that because he's my friend. Uh, Donnie's going to stand down here. Our band's going to play a song. And uh, while that's going on, I want you to, uh, 
to stand as the band plays in just a minute. And uh, if you need to give your life to Jesus, today is the day for you to do that. If you've got that hole and it's an emptiness eating inside of you, if you have already given your life to Jesus but you still struggle, you're like me, you struggle with this idea of contentment, you can come down here and you can pray and just ask, ask God to begin to change your priorities. But I want us to, to really consider today, why can't I get enough? Why can't I get enough? And without Jesus, you never will. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that the Apostle Paul used his time in prison to learn about the man you wanted him to be and to, to help us to understand what it means to follow you more closely. I pray right now, Father, if there's, there's somebody in this room, maybe more than one, for struggling right now with contentment. They're just never happy. They're never, never satisfied. They can't make enough money to make them happy. They can't have enough stuff to make them happy. And they're empty inside. And I pray today that they would give themselves completely over to you. That you would do a work in their heart that only you can do. You died for us, not just so that we could have an easy life, you died for us so that we could follow you, and sometimes that's not easy. It can be difficult. But help us to be satisfied in you and what you've done for us. And even as we even as we have a drive to achieve more and to solve problems, even as we do those things, help us to be satisfied in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.